So I want to begin with the question, uh, do you ever find yourself counting someone out? I, I didn't tell uh, Paul, our MC today, about this sermon or my intro, and so I felt like he was preaching my sermon for me. Uh, and, but that's okay, just it reinforces the point. And, and so this whole notion of writing people off, have you ever found yourself counting someone out? Uh, I know I have through all my life, from young to old to even today. Uh, perhaps it's at work, a colleague, perhaps because of their record of uh, performance and competence or just something about them. Maybe it's just the way they smell, the way they dress. Uh, when we are younger, we can all think of that anxious moment where we're all lined up against the school wall and people are picking teams and and I, for one, usually ended up being one of the last ones picked. Okay, so I know what it feels like to be counted out. But also, in turn, hurt people hurt people. So I learned to count other people out. But whether from being a child to uh, growing up through adulthood, think of a time. I'm certain that you have counted someone out at some point in your life. We do this as well spiritually. It's just speaking first to our Christian brothers and sisters, our Christian friends here. Uh, If you're like me, I have to repent and confess at times where in my mind I actually have the thought, Lord, I've put enough time and prayers into this person and there's no change going on. So in my heart, to be honest, I've counted this person out. So who do you count out? Maybe you're counting out someone this very morning. The more important question, why? I'm not going to answer that question right now. But we need to be able to answer, why do we find ourselves writing people off and counting people out? Now, as we look to all of Scripture, not just Acts today, but the best way to understand Scripture is within the whole scope of Scripture. God has written an overarching, unified story from Genesis to Revelation. And as we look through Scripture, just a quick survey, there's something that God the Father, the Godhead, has required of us. Starting from the very beginning of creation in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, he gave his original commission to Adam and Eve. He said, go out into all the earth, multiply, I bless you, be fruitful, subdue the earth. And there was this um, commission to to go out and, and just spread God's presence, God's reign, God's love. When we fast forward after, of course, sin came and uh, ruined the whole uh, creation project and our own hearts, we became selfish at the core and self-interested. There was even murder and so forth going on already. And so God provides His law. And through His servant Moses, He provides stipulations, statutes, principles, rules, commands that point to His standard, God's standard of righteousness. And, and one of those is, in chapter 10, verse 18 of Deuteronomy, is a love for the foreigner. Now, for those who would dismiss the law and say, see, God is just this angry Old Testament God throwing thunderbolts and looking for any opportunity to smote people in anger. No, even in the midst of His law, there are beautiful glimpses of His great, massive, compassionate, wide heart as He gives this clear command to love the foreigner, to love those who are outside of the people of Israel. And so much so that God gives clear commands in many places, but especially through His servant Isaiah. In these four chapters, we're not going to get into the specifics, but overall, there's this clear theme, this thread, that God has called His people, Israel, His original chosen people, 
to be a light. To be a light that shines brightly to the ends of the earth to proclaim, to announce who God is. That God's overall plan, His ultimate plan, is to somehow include everyone, to bring everyone back to Him and reconcile everyone to Himself. To be in a wonderful love relationship with Him again. And of course, we fast forward to Jesus. And one of the last words of Him recorded, at least in the Gospel of Matthew, His great commission. And in some sense, He's redeeming the original commission. And He says to His disciples, Now, as I return to heaven, and I'll come back someday, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, but your job now is to go to all the nations, to all those that my original people counted out, to all those that you, would, you might yourself count out right off. And you need to go and share this good news of forgiveness of your sins through, through this is Jesus speaking through himself, uh, and to make this invitation for people to come and believe and have faith in this gospel. So here's the good news. And every time up, I'm up here, it's a journey for me just to keep growing and learning and figure out this art and science of preaching and, and just return to a basic this week, my own journey as a preacher. And, and preaching, essentially, if, if you've never known this, is essentially simply to announce. My job here is simply to announce good news to you. Yes, I can teach and unpack and so forth, but preaching, in essence, is to simply state what's already happened. And so the good news that I want to announce to you today, I want you to, the news that I want you to take in and really consider, process, is that Jesus was counted on the cross. He was counted out, sorry. He was counted out on the cross so we can be counted in as God's own. That's good news. And, and just to pause there, some of you today, I know you need to hear that. You need to hear that. And I think you need to hear it so much that the Spirit put it on Paul's heart to introduce the service this way. And here now, as I introduce this sermon, take these words in this gospel truth. The gospel, in other words, is simply that God rescues sinners. But a beautiful paraphrase of this is, is that Jesus was counted out on the cross forsaken by the Father, so that you, if you place your faith in Him, can be counted in as God's own. And you need to hear that. God has not counted you out. God has not written you off, no matter what kind of morning or week you had. So as we come to Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40, how do we live this out? How do we, how do we practically live out this faith, this wonderful good news that I'm announcing to you that that Jesus was counted out for you so that you could be counted in to be God's own. And just to add a little bit of a twist, I realized as we're three months into the series, uh, I've been trying to backtrack and evaluate, have we been doing a good job to really give clear, practical, missional uh, implications, how we're meant to live out differently uh, on mission because of the things that we've been learning through Acts. And so specifically, how does Acts 8, these verses here call us to be missional by faith, to keep reaching out, to keep not counting others out. So let's get into the points. If you appreciate an outline, you can follow along in the bulletin uh, and, and take notes there, or you can just listen, whatever your fancy. 
And so, as, before we get into the first point then, let me ask you the question, what, what, what gives you life? Uh, what wakes you up in the morning and gives you the energy, the motivation to get up, brush your teeth, take a shower, get dressed, you know, just go through all the routines and, and to live that day uh, with some measure of passion and purpose? What gives you life? This is important to be able to answer because the first point I want to say is, and what I believe Scripture is calling us to this morning is to rise and go. We need to be able to have something, some dynamic in our hearts that we can just rise. There's something that just lifts us up onto our feet, and we want to go. And we see this in the first three verses here. And so picking up in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, and the focus there is that the Lord, though using an angel, it's the Lord who's guiding Philip and speaking to Philip. And he gives us this, him this instruction, rise and go toward the south, uh, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And so if, if we're going to experience true life, if we're going to know what it means to rise and go, first it begins with rising and going because we sense the Lord's prompts. This is a beautiful benefit of being united with Christ. That you have the Spirit of the living God actually living in you. Now, yes, it takes some time and maybe even years, seasons, to recognize the Spirit guiding you all within the, 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 the good boundaries and, and uh, guardrails, if you will, of Scripture. He'll never lead us uh, outside of the, the message of the Gospel and Scripture. To give you an analogy, and, and the fact that we can learn to recognize the Spirit's promptings, to just give you an analogy, these days my boy, uh, he's discovered soccer. And uh, he, he loves soccer. It's his new sport. And in my opinion, just from what I know and where I'm standing, he's pretty good at it. And so we've rolled him into teams and so forth. And so these days, what he is obsessed with is watching YouTube clips of Lionel Messi. That's his favorite player. Don't blame him. He's one of the greatest uh, players uh, to live in, in uh, recent history, at least. And, and so he, it's almost a fight sometimes to get him off the computer because he's learning new moves and, and deeks and so forth. And so on the left is what he's watching. And he sees Lionel Messi, but he's distant. He's in the computer on the screen. And he's just learning principles and moves and tricks. But what if my boy could replace and be this little boy who got to meet Lionel Messi in person? Not just to learn the principles and the skills and moves from a book or a video, but to actually meet the person and be taught by him, to have a relationship with him, to have fun with him, to play with him. I'm afraid that many times, because we're afraid of of leaning into the Spirit and, and learning to recognize, because certainly we can make mistakes. We can hear God wrong. And, and so we write off even developing a personal relationship with God as we spend time in the Word and understanding the Gospel and learning more of Scripture's principles. We, we can be afraid to partner with that uh, just a day-to-day, in the moment, a leading by the Spirit. But that's what God wants with us. Father, Son, and Spirit. 
to have a personal relationship. Not just to be a moral Christian and to live by Christian principles. I mean, that's great because it'll make you wiser, it'll make you uh, ethical and so forth. But Christianity is not meant to just be a system, a moral code. It's meant to be a relationship. As Luke continues, the specific message to Philip is rise and go. And this is where we get the whole notion of really living. The word for rise is where we get the word resurrection. And so the, the, the feeling of this command here, rise and go, is to really live, almost resurrect in a sense. Live out the life and all the benefits that you have as a Christ follower being filled with the Spirit and go. Luke continues, Rise and go toward the south, the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And we see that Philip in verse 27, and he rose and went. It's a sense of conclusion. Therefore, he obeyed. Now, I'm going to show you a map in a second. But the whole, the, the, the principle here is for us to rise and go in expectant obedience. Why? Because the Spirit instructed Philip He was at the yellow star, and his route was to go south through Jerusalem and across to the red star. That's approximately 100 kilometers, and most likely he walked. I googled and tried to find, Google mapped it in a a point of reference, is from 826 Eglinton here, if we walked to Brantford, that would be a similar distance. And according to Google, it would take us about 24 hours to walk there. Not only was it this long distance, but it was a desert place. That's why Luke mentions, he makes a point, this was a desert place. But also, he was getting into territory where there were more and more people outside of, the, of, of Israel, Gentiles, non-Jews. And so Luke, he reveals who he's going to meet, and to no surprise, in verse 27, he rose again. There was a life in him, a resurrection life that was his impetus, that animated him. He got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who's in charge of all her treasure. And we're led to believe that this was someone who wasn't Jewish. This is someone who himself, Philip, as a Jew, would naturally count out. And so rise and go to those you might count out. But not only was he a non-Jew, someone whom Philip would naturally count out, he was also a eunuch. If you don't know what a eunuch is, it's, it's someone who has severed of a male organ out of a sense of devotion, a religious devotion. And this Ethiopian eunuch, so interesting, Somehow he had heard of the Jewish faith. And he had made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so that's why Luke records he had come to Jerusalem to worship. It's like Muslims these days wanting to go to Mecca. And now he was returning home. And so what we see here as well, in between the lines, is this call for you and me to rise and go 
to people who are trapped just in, in trying to work so hard to find their meaning, their significance, and even greater still, more sadly still, their right standing before God, what we call a works righteousness. What else is interesting here? In verse 27, he was not only an Ethiopian, a eunuch, but he was a court official of Candace, specifically in charge of all her treasure. In modern terms, he was the CFO of the nation. He was the minister of finance, a very important person in the government. And so we are called here specifically to rise and go even to the elite. Now, I don't blame Christianity, but, and the message is very clear. And God's heart for the poor through all of Scripture is so loud and clear. And all of us are poor in spirit. And so we should identify with the literal financial poor because we have a keen sense of our spiritual poverty. But we should never forget that God also loves and Jesus died for the rich, the elite, the high and mighty in our society. I was uh, connecting with a dad yesterday at our gingerbread party, and it drew... Uh, lots of families from the immediate neighborhood. And uh, we all know that Leaside is, is an affluent, one of the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. And as we were talking, uh, we just got talking because he knew I was the pastor, and, and we just got talking about what I was going to preach on today. And, and I just began to give him a summary of the, the uh, passage. And, and I said, one of the points is that God loves the rich. And then he smiled. <laughs> he said, Really? Do you mean that? He was sincerely asking me. It, it gave him a little glimmer of hope in that moment. And he himself said in response, I've always heard that God only loves the poor. And so I've always felt distant that, that I can't approach God because of just my station in life. Now, of course, we can make mistakes in our outreach to the rich as well. And James addresses that in his letter, and there's just something in our sinful hearts where we begin to give favoritism to the elite as well. And of course, we need to avoid that extreme. But here, a clear reminder, rise and go even to the elite. So how do I reach out, even to the elite, or to whomever, from the least to the greatest? How am I called to reach out? How do I reach out? So here's the second point, the second action point for you. Learn to bridge conversations to the gospel. This is a skill that we as Christ followers need to keep building. And in a, in a loving, gentle, uh, but rebuking spirit, I, I want to say, don't make any excuses. For, for the Christian here today, please don't make any excuses that I'm not smart enough or I'm not well-read enough or whatever excuse you might make. All of us, no matter where we start, we can learn to speak of the gospel, to explain gospel and Jesus and the story of scripture. Just take it little bit by little bit. It's like learning to walk. Even a baby can learn to walk. And so what we need to do is to learn to bridge conversations to the gospel. And we see this in the next section. And so Luke continues, picking up in verse eight, or 28, the end of verse 28. The eunuch, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. 
And the Spirit said to, now we know it's Philip, but I put a blank there intentionally because I want you to put your name in that blank. And this is the same Spirit today, the same Spirit that guided Philip, that led Philip, is the same Spirit that can prompt you, that can lead you, that can open up your eyes to an opportunity to bridge a conversation to the Gospel. Go over and join this chariot. The chariot, just as a quick side note, that was this time's version of a private jet. And so just it points to the eliteness of this person again. And so Philip ran to him. Now, some people, when they try to picture this scene, they picture, you know, chariots of, uh, or uh, Ben-Hur type of chariot, you know, just ripping through an arena really fast, and Philip is just sprinting and just trying to talk to him. But the commentaries I read, it was most likely uh, driven by oxen. So it was like kind of just sort of a jogging or, or fast walking pace. So just to make the Bible a bit more, you know, realistic. Um, and so the Spirit prompts Philip, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? Here, there's also a practical application for us, just a practical tip for us to take home. We've got to just learn to ask questions, right? That, that's one practical way to start bridging your conversations to the gospel. Just ask questions. So here are some questions. Even if now in Toronto, I don't know what percentage it would be, probably close to 100% of Toronto is biblically illiterate. And I don't know how often you're going to find someone reading the prophet Isaiah, let alone this passage. But perhaps we can take a cue, uh, and just in our mission field, just what are you reading these days? And to go from there. I found that has worked plenty of time for myself. And as I get some sense of the novel they're reading, the theme of it, or the news and so forth, just to try to find some jumping point. Did you hear the news? When the Las Vegas massacre happened, I had a two-hour conversation uh, with uh, someone who works at the cycle shop that I, I visit. And he brought up Las Vegas. And so he asked, did you hear the news? He asked me the question. But then from there, it was a natural springboard to begin to talk about values and the heart and evil and so forth. You can ask randomly, is that an Australian accent? <laughs> now... Let me explain this. It's, I know it's random because one of the families that came yesterday to the gingerbread house, one, a family in our church was able to connect with them because they were just randomly, I believe, in Sunnybrook Park, and they heard each other's Australian, they were both Australian, and they heard each other's Australian accents. And so one of them just randomly asked, is that an Australian accent? And then that led to building a friendship, building rapport, eventually inviting them out to a church event. And, and hopefully we'll see them in church someday. I know this is a hard one for many of us, but maybe you can begin to open up about your life. I'm not saying to reveal every dark secret, but at work where the, the environment is just professional and just stick to business. Perhaps you can have a moment where you can just open up about the actual stress you're dealing with and maybe it can lead to how you are dealing with it and so forth. What do you think about what's going on with blank? Whatever that situation or person or whatever it may be. But the point is to learn to ask questions. And eventually, at the important, you'll know. You'll know when the timing is right. The Spirit is leading to this point. But to get to this question, do you understand the difference 
between trying to get to God by our works and God coming to us by His grace. It essentially comes down to this question. This is what differentiates the gospel and Christianity from every other worldview, whether it be, be it religion, be it evolution, and survival of the fittest. This is the question that brings out this, the, the distinction between following Jesus, placing your faith in Jesus in every other worldview, literally every other worldview. And what the Ethiopian answered with is the answer that people have in their hearts. The question that he asked back, whether they might not articulate it to us, but this is the question in their hearts. How can I? How can I understand what I'm reading? How can I make sense of the chaos in the world unless someone guides me? And so verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth. This is a time when it's good to open his mouth, his big mouth. It was a, it was a good mouth to open. And, and he spoke in faith. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Now, Philip, he was just taking a cue from Jesus because Jesus, one of his last lessons to his disciples on the road to Emmaus, the two disciples there, they didn't recognize him at first. But what Jesus did was he pointed to all the law and the prophets and the Psalms and used those as springboards to show how the whole Bible is the, the, the focal point, the hero protagonist, everything that Scripture's pointing to is Jesus. So for you and me, now again, if there is that exceptional moment where you actually hear someone reading Scripture and you have that opportunity to make conversation with them and say, do you understand what you're reading? And then beginning with that Scripture, if you have that exceptional opportunity, praise God, amazing. But more likely than not, in Toronto, that is so post-Christian, and, and really, at least the studies I've done, is less than 3% um, genuine Christ-following Christianity. You'll have to begin with other things. Maybe if you're seeing a movie, and there's a redemptive theme in there. There's so many movies. I mean, Star Wars episode, what is it, 8 or 9 is coming out uh, this Friday. I'm sure there are many messianic, redemptive themes, even in that story, the last Jedi, this one person that everyone's looking to for hope and salvation and victory. And somehow we, we need to get good at just building the muscle of, of seeing the themes and culture that somehow represent, that somehow shadow the message of Jesus and the gospel. And in the context of friendship and rapport and in a natural way, building bridges, building that bridge to get to the point of telling people about the good news about Jesus. Let's try to begin to land this plane then. So why do we count people out? Why do we lack passion in reaching out? Why, why are we so insular, so inward focused, and so happy with just being comfortable to our own selves? Why? If you're like me, it's because, essentially, first, my greatest problem, when I count people out, I've forgotten 
how much I was counted out first by God. I've forgotten how much Christ loved me. I've forgotten how far I was I was from God in my sins. And I've put on some veneer of self-righteousness to think actually that, ah, I'm okay that I have Jesus and that person sucks to be them. I've forgotten Christ's love for me. Perhaps it comes down to something as simple as and, and practical as they're just so different from you. Their personality is so different from you. You are very organized and logistical. And they are just very free-spirited and, and, and just going on whims. And so you just, because of personality differences, you count them out. Maybe it's ethnicity. And, and somewhere in some of us, there still is a, a threat of, of racism. But whatever it is, you need to identify why you might count people out. And especially today, if you're a Christ follower, you need to do some heart searching, some soul searching to identify why is it that I'm so uh, just smug and, and content with just sticking to my own and not worrying about people who are lost outside. Now what's the cure then? What's the cure? This is the third point. Be carried away by the gospel in your soul, in your heart. You need to be carried away by Jesus and this message of grace in your soul and your heart. Remember, the biblical understanding of soul and heart, those are synonyms, soul and heart. But it, it's, it's just mashing up together your, your very thoughts and your affections, your emotional attachments and desires in this life and, and, and your will, what you actually resolve to do and act on All that coming together is your soul, your heart, and the gospel needs to speak to that level. Where do we see this? The passage ends in verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, they got baptized, or the the Ethiopian believed, places faith in this amazing good news of Jesus. Now, just pause right there. Imagine this person who is the elite, who is a eunuch, who is... Um, devoting himself, even traveling all this distance to Jerusalem to somehow get to God by his works, even to the point of, of, of mutilating his own body. And then the sense of liberation that he experienced when he knew all he had to do was place his faith in Jesus and that Jesus fulfilled all of God's requirements. And to have this grace to free him. And, and then he just desired to be baptized. So he, they, he was baptized. They come out of the water. The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Now, I know some translations make the English sound like that he was teleported. But most commentators agree that this word carried away, it, it actually just means gripped, seized. The Spirit seized Philip again. He seized his heart. And so Philip... He, was, he, he celebrated this little victory. Praise God. This person came to believe and God sent me randomly out to the desert. I went in expecting obedience and lo and behold, there was this person who was seeking and that job was done and he didn't just put on a laurel because, yay, I saved one person. No, he was seized again in his heart and he kept moving forward. He kept moving on where the Spirit was leading him to keep 
announcing, preaching this gospel. And so in verse 40, but Philip found himself, and all that means is he kept moving forward, being led by the Spirit, and he found himself in Azotus, which was just a little bit north, that red star on the screen, a little bit north of where the Ethiopian and Philip had their encounter. And Azotus, again, pure Gentile land. It was where the Philistines, the enemies of God in the Old Testament, one of the most uh, uh, um, infamous enemies of God, that was their land. And it was renamed Azotus. And he found himself in the center of that land. And he didn't count even those people out. And he preached the gospel there. I was on a flight um, last week and all of a sudden my shade was up and I was just focused on, I was honestly preparing a sermon and, uh, um, and as I was going along, all of a sudden I just saw this glow. So much so that it distracted me from my work and then I just was compelled to look out the window and this is what I saw. The sun was setting and I had no ideas over these mountains, snow-capped. And just that moment was breathtaking. I, I worshipped our Creator God in that moment. But there was this bright light that caused me to turn my head. I want to use this as an analogy, getting back to what did God the Father require of us? Now the more important question, the pertinent question is, how did Jesus fulfill what God required? The original creation was tainted, and yet Jesus, from the farthest place possible from the earth, He obeys God's original commission and comes to the earth with an intent to multiply, to subdue, and bring the reign of God's kingdom again. Jesus is the one who has loved the foreigner, you and me, more than anyone else ever could in history. And Jesus became, he fulfilled Israel's calling. He became a light to the world. And of course, it's Jesus himself who gives the Great Commission to you and me to continue on. And so this central focal text in, in our passage, in the smack in the middle of our passage today, the scripture that the Ethiopian was reading, it was a prophecy of Jesus, like a sheep, so pure and innocent, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, he opens not his mouth. He didn't fight for himself. He just submitted himself to the Father's will. In his humiliation, not only a literal humiliation of being stripped bare and naked and flogged and mocked before the masses and being thrown on a criminal's cross in capital punishment, but also just the humiliation of leaving his glory, his throne, and being found, what Advent is all about, being found in helpless babe form. Jesus condescending himself, coming down. And even as he was innocent, justice was denied him. 
See, what's going to keep us, prevent us from counting people out is when we see everyone in the light of Christ. When we see Jesus, the brightest light, and we let this light turn our heads. And as we keep looking to the world and our family members and friends and colleagues that we might have counted out, when we see them in the light of Christ, and we're reminded constantly of how deeply he has loved us, there's no way we can count people out. Amen.